Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Sean Amirati for his monthly feature, Amirati on Innovation. Sean is a professor at Carnegie Mellon's Business School, where he oversees the Corporate Startup Lab program. Sean's also a venture capitalist. He's an author. And he's got his own podcast called Agile Giants. Sean, thanks very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bob. So, Sean, we're winding down uh, 2019, and you had some thoughts about the coming year. Yeah. You had uh, some interesting thoughts, or what what do you make of all this? Yeah, you know, I'm usually wrong on these things, but I always think it's fun (laughs) to spend a a few minutes as the calendar turns thinking about what's coming uh, in the next year, what are some of the things that could happen. And so... I thought kind of a fun way to wrap up uh, Cloud Wars Live for 2019 and and get ready for next year would just be to kind of quickly walk through five different predictions on things that I think may happen in 2020 and specifically how they'll impact uh, the tech and innovation uh, ecosystem over the next year. Um, So I thought I would kind of walk through one at a time and you and I could kind of bounce them back and forth. just as a way to, to kind of wrap up the year here. And then obviously I'm sure uh, between our different social channels and uh, the podcast, et cetera, it'd be great to hear people's reaction to these as well as thoughts that some of the audience may have on what's going to happen next year. Well, Sean, that sounds great. And I really like the mix of topics that you had in companies from big ones to little ones and uh, places in between. So yep. you have some uh, thoughts about Slack. For yeah. So let's, so let's start with Slack, right? So, so Slack's an interesting company, obviously. Um, I think it's, it has definitely changed how people collaborate. Um, but since going public about six months ago, uh, the market cap of Slack has basically been slashed in half. Uh, I think the peak uh, in June, shortly after it went out, was about $42 a share. And I looked this morning, it's trading at about $22 a share. So not quite a, a reduction by 50%, but almost. So... If you think about that in terms of what's, what's really meaningful, that means Slack's market cap today is about $12 billion, uh, so not small. Uh, on the other hand, when you, think about, um, when you think about the balance sheets of the large enterprise tech companies today, um, that's not like that's a, an acquisition that, that they, couldn't, they couldn't consume or, or afford to do. And, and I think, you know, just I went and pulled, and I'm gonna, gonna just read a couple statistics here. Sure. Uh, but I went and looked at the last earnings call. And, and as I was going through this, I was just thinking like, what would this, what would these statistics be worth inside Oracle, Salesforce, Microsoft, even Google, right? And, and um, I, I don't know, I think you can make cases for each of these. I would say this though, if you're in the corp dev department in one of the large enterprise tech companies today, and you're not actively thinking about the case to buy Slack, you need to ask yourself uh, what you're spending your time on because I think this is an incredible acquisition for somebody. So they ended the quarter with 105,000 105, paid customers, up about 30% year over year. They have 821 of those who are doing more than 100K a year in ARR and 50 doing over a million in ARR. So what that says to me is, out of 105,000 customers, you know, 104,000 plus are doing less than 100 grand a year in revenue. 
Uh, and I think that's a function of kind of the, the business still maturing. But, you know, give that technology to the Salesforce sales team, the Microsoft sales team, the Oracle. I mean, Larry Ellison himself might get two or 3,000 customers up over a million dollars by himself. <laughs> um, but, the, but the point is, right, like there's just, there's a ton of headroom in this business. And it was probably a hard thing to take out at, you know, north of 20 billion market cap. But hovering around 12 billion, um, I think if you're in a corp dev department in one of these places right now, you need to, you need to be looking hard at this and, and thinking about the synergies and, and the business case for it. I think you're going to have to convince the founders and the team there that this is a, a good thing for them and their companies. But they're a publicly traded company now. And even though they didn't go public the traditional way, they are a publicly traded company. And I think people need to, need to be taking a hard look at this because there certainly are, as the bankers like to say, um, some synergies here, I think, with some of the larger enterprise tech companies. So that was the first one. It just feels like um, could really be a win-win for both uh, the Slack customers and one of these large enterprise tech companies to, to take, to take uh, an M&A move on Slack. Sean, quick follow-up on that. Uh, I saw that I think when the Slack uh, share price took a pretty good tumble, there were some people that tried to peg that to a recent release from Microsoft about the, the number that- of teams users do you see that as a direct impact or or is this something of, let's make this pie even bigger for everybody yeah so so uh, you know and i i haven't looked at that closely but my understanding is the way microsoft is counting teams versus the way slack talks about paid customers and, and i didn't none of those were actually including all the free instances of slack my understanding from people who are closer to it is that those aren't an apples to apples uh comparison here but to, to me, I think the, the point is, um, you know, I think that the, the reality is um, the market is, for a variety of reasons, I think the fact that Microsoft's trying to make this a, a feature of their team solution is probably one of them. But the, the market has just not, um, not continued to, to hold up the value that it first went out at. And I think, you know, somebody's going to need to take advantage of that in the, in the M&A department. So one of these places just probably makes it a, a harder acquisition from Microsoft than the other names that we mentioned. Um, on the other hand, when you think about some of the assets Microsoft has, like what could LinkedIn plus Slack do yeah. if you were to combine that? I think things could become very interesting, especially with the, the shared work channel or shared channels, I guess, um, now that, that Slack is, is doing out there. And I think they have about, um, about a quarter of their paid customers using those shared channels at this point. Yeah, Sean, it's a wild thing. And, you know, you get the looking at a couple of years with what HoloLens and that type of, you know, mixed reality technology could bring to, you know, a level of collaboration that right now seems a little uh, out there. But uh, interesting point. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that one. And then, Sean, you, you know, going from a relative startup to one of the largest corporations in the world, what do you think about, uh, you've got some thoughts about Walmart? Yeah, so, 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 you know, we've been talking a lot throughout the whole year about incumbency advantage, right? On the, the, the last couple of podcasts, we've talked about the Disney Plus thing. And as I was thinking about like, well, what are other enterprises with just, with just incredible assets that if they put them together in the right way, could have their own sort of Disney Plus moment. And as I was thinking through it, it just feels like Walmart is so well positioned to, to do the same thing. And so, you know, the, the way I thought about framing this out is, you know, I think Walmart, similar to Disney, 
is in 2020 going to do what Disney did last year, which is move from playing defense to playing offense. And that's not to say that Walmart's not done anything interesting before. I think Walmart's labs was interesting. I think the, the jet.com acquisition, um, although probably not the right bet, it was a relatively modest bet for, for Walmart, you know, relative to the size of that company. Um, but I think um, over the next year, you're going to see uh, Walmart probably go out and buy one or two very large companies. I know some people have been floating FedEx as a potential uh, candidate there. So would, you, would, you would sort of integrate the supply chain there. Um, but I think there's, there's a Shopify is another interesting. So I think you'll see them make a large acquisition to, to solidify the e-commerce part of, of theirs while also allowing them to continue to leverage um, the assets that they have. I think you'll see a further investment in Walmart Labs and hopefully some, what I'd love to see is some new business models uh, for Walmart to, enter, to experiment with as well. So maybe thinking about how they could move into recurring revenue, um, things like that. But it just feels like, um, I think in the same way that, you know, as we wrap up this year, one of the big stories of the year in corporate innovation is Disney Plus and the great success that that's been. I suspect that the end of 2020, we'll be saying similar things about Walmart, or at least the company's well positioned for that to be the case. Yeah, Sean, I, I love that, uh, that that prospect. And again, I think one of your key themes throughout the year has been uh, companies today have a choice, right? And you you must make one or the other, or the market will make it for you. You either are a disruptor or you're disrupted. And it seems like um, some of the interesting things that Walmart has been doing have been to fortify, sort of enhance the stuff it can already do. And it sounds like what you're saying is it's time to jump into some new arenas as well, different business models right down to that. Yep. So fascinating possibilities. Yep. Yep. And then you, uh, you've got some thoughts, Sean, about another giant company here, yeah. Amazon, and something that it might do. Well, this one is probably closest to a Cloud Wars prediction as well. Um, so so I, just, I just can't wrap my head around why Amazon won't end up needing to spin out AWS this year. And I've certainly... Uh, seen all the denials from the management team of, you know, no interest in this and that, you know, that, that they don't want to be two separate companies. But, but I think along multiple uh, uh, dimensions here, it just makes too much sense for Amazon to, to not do this. And, and what I mean by that is I think both, um, I think AWS is going to increasingly bump into a problem where large companies don't like funding their competitors and other parts of the business, right? And so it's just, you know, we were just talking about Walmart. How does Walmart feel about cutting checks to Amazon for AWS instances? Uh, I have no inside information here, but, but just having done business for 20 years, I can't imagine they're happy to send checks to Seattle uh, so that their competitor can uh, have subsidized uh, competition on the e-commerce front, right? And so I think there, there's, there's that market dynamic that's just going to demand it. I also think um, as great as all of the other enterprise cloud companies are, the reality is that they all come along with something else, right? So if you want to, to buy the cloud today, right? If, you buy, if you're going to invest in Google as an investor, you also have to, to take along search advertising with it. If you want to buy Microsoft, right? You got to take along. And th these, are not, these are not bad things, but they're, they're, it makes it impossible for an investor who really just wants to index uh, cloud as a, as a theme. And the reality is AWS is so large and unlike the others where they're real, I don't, I think it's much harder to talk about the synergies between AWS and e-commerce 
Whereas like if you're Microsoft, it's very easy to talk about the Microsoft cloud synergies with the rest of your technology platforms or same thing with Google, right? So I think for Amazon, it just, it makes a ton of sense internally. I think the market will love it. And I think their customers, frankly, will be elated to stop subsidizing retail. And I think if Amazon spins out AWS, you know, the day after that spin out happens, you're talking about one of the largest companies in the world immediately being just the AWS part of it, right? And so um, this is this is not a small entity post post spin out. Um, and I think uh, I think it's just it's it's going to happen in 2020, uh, much to the management uh, denial. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people who will be who will have to to reframe those arguments over the next year. Yes, what I meant to say was so on, but yeah, right. Sean. Uh, I, I suspect that uh, AWS will finish calendar 2019 about $38 billion in revenue. So they're already among the top seven, eight technology companies in the world and growing at about, you know, right now about 32, 33%. So uh, incredible opportunities. And I think you're 100% right. There's a ton of retailers that Microsoft has just all over because of exactly what you said. So uh, interesting, interesting prospect there. Yep. John, if we flip back to a you know relatively small company in the startup field, all these changes in the world of business today, the move toward digital business has really driven the need for ongoing education for yeah. you know, people inside big companies. And you had identified a company, Linda, as one that uh, stands out there some. Yeah, so, so you know, five years ago, right, LinkedIn bought Linda for $1.5 billion, right? And when that came out, people thought, okay, it's, it's finally time in the corporate education space for online education to get serious, the online corporate continuing education to get serious. And, and unfortunately, I would say over the last five years, um, I'm not sure that that there's as much evidence of that as, as one might help. Now, I, I do think it, my understanding from people who, who are closer to it is that it's been an accretive acquisition for LinkedIn and that, that, that they and now Microsoft are happy with it. Um, but but it's a, in some ways, it feels a little bit like a, a one-time blip, not a trend. And, and yet, I think if you look at, look at where the, the market's heading now, and, and as the, race, the, the rate of change has continued to accelerate, I think whether it's LinkedIn doubling down on that acquisition and, and actually making something of it as part of Microsoft or um, Salesforce with their Trailhead platform or some of the other, like I think SAP, um, you know, as, as they flush out this new human experience management stuff. I mean, part of this is you can't, you can't make HR, you can't reinvent HR without making the people who are HR is responsible for also reinventing them and, and empowering them to, to change their careers. And the way we work is just, it's only increasing, right? And I think people know that part of it, but I think what you're gonna see is um, how we actually do that uh, education and how our employers think about educating their employees, I think is gonna get, become very serious over the next uh, 12 months. And I think what you're gonna see is you're gonna see a lot of these large uh, companies actually get serious about offerings around this space, right? Um, and so I think I think that's going to actually be fun because it's actually going to help make the people who are working at these companies more efficient and effective. Um, and I think th there's a ton of so far a lot of online education, even the Linda stuff. And it, I mean, a, 
1.5 billion is, is no small acquisition price. So much of the so far has been, let's take the model that worked in a legacy format and let's just bring it online. And I think what you're gonna see in the next 12 months is as, as great product thinkers at places like Salesforce, SAP, maybe LinkedIn as well, look at this as well as a bunch of entrepreneurs continue to take fresh looks at this. I think you're gonna see, okay, what's a digitally first approach to this online uh, corporate continuing education space? And I think it's gonna become a, a, a big category over the next 12 months. Well, Sean, it certainly has been uh, an area of huge interest. You mentioned uh, how SAP has sort of flipped the old name of HCM to Human Experience Management. You've got Salesforce, Oracle, SAP, certainly Workday, all moving into the employee experience market as well. So this could be exactly as you're saying, that new type of tool that allows them to take that switch in the name and actually change fundamentally this continuing education because everybody's going to have to constantly refresh what they do, how they do it, why they do it, and have that be tied into the overall corporate flow of strategy, ideas, and priorities. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, Sean, then finally, you felt that uh, from a macro perspective, the, the market has been soaring along, but the markets don't stay high forever, do they? Well, well so this is, I mean, this is, a, this is one that is interesting, right? Because you know, we've been doing budgets with all of our portfolio companies over the last two months, right? And every, every portfolio CEO is trying to figure out like, well, what's the market going to look like, you know, over 2020? And, you know, I'm not an economist and, you know, I don't even try to pretend to, to be one. Um, but it is important to have points of view on this because uh, it, it does impact what types of companies are, are desirable, what kind of companies aren't, and how to think about the right financing strategies around innovation from three people, person startups, all the way to the, the largest enterprises. And the conclusion I've come to, uh, and again, as I said on, on the, at the top here, Bob, often these are uh, wrong. They're, uh, they're often delivered with confidence, uh, and that confidence often turns out to be incorrect. But the, the, the conclusion I've come to is that the, the market almost certainly needs to correct in 2020. It's just, it's, it's been too long since the last market correction. And there are boom bust cycles here that feel um, kind of inevitable. Um, what I think is interesting though, is as that relates to innovation, thinking about what's gonna happen there. And the conclusion I've come to is that that will, similar to the WeWork correction, if, uh, you know, where you saw that correct valuations a little bit, I think that will continue to rationalize startup valuations a little bit uh, and just kind of continue that what you already see happening there. But I actually think that the more interesting point here is even though I think you're going to see a correction in the, the overall environment, I do think because of the number of companies where they're, they're committed to this transition from physical to digital or, or we've talked before, I don't love to handle digital transformation, but sort of it's a, it's a clean way to describe this because of how important digital transformation is to these large enterprises today. I think the impact in the software sector is going to actually be less than it was in 2008 and certainly less than it was in the, in the early 2000s. So I do think you'll see the overall market correct because we're kind of, it feels like due for a, for a stock market correction here, but I think it's only going to minimally rationalize startup valuations and only minimally uh, impact the overall software sector because there's this, this even larger trend, even more important than the boom bust cycle, which is just 
so many things moving from physical problems to digital problems and the software industry really being being critical to make that happen. Well, Sean, that's great. And can I toss in one final one for you? Sure. Now, give us a prediction, 2020. How many triathlons are you going to do? <laughs> I just, I'm actually, I just did my, my schedule uh, over the Christmas break. I think I'm going to do three next year. So I'm going to do uh, one. I, I, I wanted to go up to do a full distance Ironman next year. But I, as I look at all the work things I need to and I want to accomplish next year, it's just out of, it's out of scope. So I'm going to do another uh, half Ironman. This year, I, this one, I'm 99% sure I'm going to do um, one in Waco, Texas in uh, October because um, you've actually met him before. My, the guy who was the best man at my wedding, uh, John Passman, now is in uh, Waco, Texas. So I want to go see him and, and do the, do the uh, triathlon out there. Um, but yeah, it uh, should be at least, at least three. Plus, you never know, opportunistically more than that. So. All right. Well, all of us fans of yours here at Cloudwars, we're going to check in with you mid-year because I think you do have one of those Iron Man in you, Sean. You know, we, you're, you're being cautious about your outlook for 2020. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bob. Sean, great stuff. Always wonderful to hear from you. Very intriguing ideas you put out there for 2020. Thanks for the great fun we've had uh, this year with Amaradio on innovation. And Sean, we'll look forward to seeing you again sometime soon in, in 2020. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Have a great New Year's and a fantastic 2020. See you soon.